Hey there, if you're listening to this and you support us on Patreon, you can hear it via the Patreon page and free. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we'll be sharing our favorite speak singing tracks. Songs where the vocals are primarily spoken, not sung. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. And later, we'll say farewell to Mark Lanigan. But first, Jim and I have a new album to review from Spoon. Greg, that is a little bit of the title track from the 10th studio album by Spoon, Lucifer on the Sofa. I love that track. I love that title. I love the idea. Wow. Almost three decades as a band since Spoon formed in Austin, Texas in 1993, uh, primarily driven by singer-guitarist Britt Daniel, but uh, formed with his buddy, um, the drummer with the coolest name in the drumming business, <laughs> Jim Eno. Um, he's a great uh, recording producer as well, as a studio in Austin, Texas, and that's where Spoon went to record parts of this new 10th studio album, uh, trying to get a live-in-the-studio vibe. Spoon has been a leading voice in the indie rock underground for almost all of those three decades, Greg, uh, since their early debut recordings, uh, all of those that followed for the Vaunted Merge label. Mm -hmm. They're now again on the uh, Vaunted Matador label. Uh, And what are they giving us for this new record? You know, uh, stick around long enough and pretty much every great band eventually records a song about the radio, uh, a medium near and dear to our hearts. This is Spoon's new track on the radio from Lucifer on the Sofa. is on the radio from the new Spoon album, Lucifer on the Sofa. Uh, it's always fun to say, new Spoon album. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I look forward to everything these guys have put out. They rarely let us down. Hot Thoughts, their 2017 album, really expanded their sound. Very keyboard heavy, uh, less guitar, more yeah. keys, uh, more atmospheric, more cut and paste, more... You know, they're keeping up with the trends. They're keeping up with the times. Yeah, they've done their dance turns, and they've done their uh, ambient turns. And it was cool. But uh, I got to say, this is an unapologetic guitar-based rock album. Um, And boy, did we need it. I Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I needed that until I heard this record, because we hadn't been getting a lot of that lately. 
um, for various reasons, the pandemic, whatever. People are more, you know, make, making records in their bedroom. They're a little bit more claustrophobic. It, it is really ironic that while everyone yeah. else is COVID quarantined yeah. in their bedrooms, everyone, you know, almost every album we've been talking about the last two years, Spoon sounds like they're playing in the middle of a huge empty hall. Yeah, it, it, they do, and uh, you know that I, I know I was born to it. Brit Daniel sings <laughs> on, on the radio, and I really think he's talking about this life, this being in this band, yeah. having a guitar in his hand. Uh, there's an exuberance to this album that feels timely, uh, necessary in some ways. Um, they're not innovating in perhaps the ways they had in the past, and I don't think they care much that they have to. They, yeah. you know, they can just make a good rock album. Uh, and as that one song says, Feels All Right, that's the title of a song. That's a song about being a kid and being out on your own for the first time at night yeah. and, and greeting the night, the possibility of the night. Heavily oriented towards up-tempo, rockin', guitar-based stuff. Um, but even the track that isn't, Astral Blanket, is talking about the after party. You know, you've, you've had a great <laughs> night out, and now I'm feeling good, and I'm making more music with my friends after we've just had this great night out. So there's a feeling of possibility here, and um, as I said, I just I think that it's timely in that sense. It's a good it's a good thing to send out into the world well, right now. You know, maybe after two years, Greg, of pandemic uh, albums, we are about to hear uh, the bounce back albums. Yeah, right. that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the world opening up again albums. Um, it starts with a uh, curveball out of left field, a uh, cover of Bill Callahan, uh, the song "Held." Uh, Bill Callahan of Smog. For the first time in my life. So, uh, you know, if you hadn't read any of the reviews or heard any of the hype or and just were listening to the new Spoon album the first time, you'd be, ooh, it's going to be an art rock record. Yeah, right. Because it is a weird uh, track. And then they get into uh, Spoon on hyperdrive mode. You know, I think it's worth uh, pointing out that uh, all of the innovations, whether their dance turn or their artier rock turns, mm. have all been, you know, fairly minimal. You know, the spoon formula is set. Mm. And uh, that can be obnoxious for some bands. And for others, the revelation uh, in veering from the formula is always just uh, rewarding. And sometimes it's the actual formula and it's just another good uh, song, or in this case, 10 more songs. You know, it's like the Ramones. You're going to yeah. complain that they sound like the Ramones. Spoon sounds like Spoon. <laughs> right. And uh, they do it so well. And uh, I'm not tired of them after 10 albums. And in fact, I think this is in my top third mm. of the Spoon discography, Lucifer on the Sofa. So we uh, both love this Spoon record. Uh, that is what we think of Lucifer on the Sofa. And we want to now hear from you, our listeners. What did you think of the record? Leave us a voice message at our website, soundopinions.org. Now we're going to be sharing some of our favorite songs with a specific, unconventional vocal style. You know, Greg, we were riffing on ideas for a list show, and I said, you know, I still can't get over that dry cleaning record from last year. <laughs> yeah. I love that record. And there's like no singing on it at all. Uh, it's all that, that sing-speak. And we said, hey... 
Mm-hmm. That is always a good trick that talented vocalists, and sometimes vocalists who can't sing at all, um, you know, pull out, uh, sometimes to great effect. Why don't we do a whole show on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a trend, right? I mean, you, you mentioned dry cleaning. I mean, there's so many bands now that are incorporating that style. I don't know what it is, but especially in the UK, uh, Squid, Shame, Fontaine's DC, yeah. Black Country, New Road, uh, these bands are all doing it. Of course, in the U- U.S., hold, the Hold Steady have been championing that style <laughs> yeah, for years. Yeah, 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 Proto-Martyr, a band that we both mm. love out of Detroit, uh, has been doing that uh, lately to great effect. Uh, this is a long tradition. People think, you know, it's kind of a weird offshoot. But, you know, for weird offshoots, this has had a long, no, long history you in, know, in popular music. One could argue that Ralph Hooter's vocals in everything Kraftwerk did were, were sing-speak, you mm-hmm. know. And then you look at great uh, duets. We did a show on that once. You know, Nancy Sinatra had that wonderful voice, but Lee Hazelwood always was just telling the Western story, <laughs> you know. Right. And and um, so there are so many great uh, contenders. We, we just had a ball picking them. I'm going to start with, I think, one of the old-time classics. I think it was the first time uh, that a song really registered to me that a great vocalist was then going into these monologues delivered in sing-speak. And I am talking, of course, about Is That All There Is? Mm -hmm. It was a huge hit, number one hit for Peggy Lee in 1969. It was a, a classic song written by Lieber and Stoller. And I first discovered it in a movie that, like, changed my life in the mid-'80s. Martin Scorsese's seriously underrated After Hours. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, it's funny, but in a very kind of weird, twisted way. Wow. You know, I mean, that captured for me, at a time when I was attending NYU, all of the magic and also the absolute threatening undercurrent of New York City, (laughs) of downtown New York. But, you know, you have uh, Peggy Lee with that world-weary voice. You know, Mm -hmm. I imagine her um, in a dress that she's falling out of with a martini leaning against (laughs) a grand piano, uh, talking about major events in her life. A fire when she was a kid, being taken to the circus, right? Uh, Falling in love for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get the recurring uh, chorus, which is sung beautifully, but all of these stories are told in sing-speak. She remembers when she was a little girl and the house caught on fire. Mm -hmm. And she's standing outside watching the house burn down and she says, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking... Is that all there is to a fire? Right, right. And then the chorus, right? Is that all there is to love? And then the chorus. And then in the end, she contemplates, it sh- this should be a French song, right? Because mm-hmm. it's existential to the max. In the end, she, she contemplates being on her deathbed and wondering, uh, breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is to life? And then comes the chorus. Let's keep dancing, bring out the booze, have a ball. It's like, wow, this is like one of the greatest pop songs ever recorded. A fine start to our sing-speak discussion. Peggy Lee. I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because I know... Just as well as I'm standing here talking to you. But when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, Is that all there is? Peggy Lee, is that all there is? She's one of my favorite vocalists. And as you said, the spoken portions of her song are as much a part of her arsenal as that beautiful singing voice. Absolutely. 
Uh, speaking of great, memorable voices, voices that you can recognize within a couple of notes, Barry White, the round mound of sound, baby. I was so <laughs> jealous, you know. I got to interview Barry a few times, Me and he's too. hilarious, and you know, you'd say, well, I said, you know, how, how big are you? And he says, well, I'm over six feet tall and three feet wide. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's hilarious and also very uh, powerful presence, you know. Um, I mean... Those baritone whispers in the song, that bedroom talk, <laughs> yeah. are surrounded by these plush orchestrations. I mean, there was a, a show he was telling me about at Carnegie Hall, in, in, you know, 100-piece orchestra. Yeah. I, I saw him with a mere 32-piece band at the Rialto Square Theater in, in, you know, I remember, well, in, in Chicago. For years, yeah. I think when he played Grand Park, he also had the two 12-foot-tall uh, yeah. martini glasses right. with a woman just lounging in the right. glass, uh, each glass for the whole show. Well, and, and the 70s is just replete with... Uh, Barry babies, right? Oh yeah, uh, couples who got together, you know, with Barry White as the background music. We're, we're on public radio. We right. better keep this PG. Exactly. But you know, he's coming out of a, a, a an amazing tradition: uh, uh, doo-wop singing. Yeah. Uh, those vocal groups. There was that moment where the fourth wall came down, mm-hmm. where the singer would suddenly turn and, and as if he was speaking directly to the listener or to the audience and saying, you know, baby, you know, and he's giving yeah, you a little, yeah. a little, a little pep talk yeah. or a little like, you know, seduction. Um, you know, even like somebody like Elvis Presley, you know, that's when your heartaches begin would turn yeah. to the listener and talk to them. Isaac Hayes during the mm. same area as Barry White was doing these long kind of monologue type takes on Jimmy Webb songs, you mm-hmm. know, by the time I get to Phoenix, mm-hmm. et cetera. Barry was the art, you know, this was oral seduction that yeah. was going on with, with Barry White. Uh, and there was nobody like him. Uh, Can't Get Enough of Your Love is the track I want to play from 1974 by Barry White. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. As many times as we've loved and we've shared love and made love. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. It's just not enough, baby. It's just not enough. That is Barry White, the great Barry White. Baritone seduction times 10 uh, in the sing-speak style on Can't Get Enough of Your Love. You know, starting out with Peggy Lee and Barry White, yeah. we're going to have a hard uh, bar that's, to measure up to that's here. It's a high, high hill to climb. Um, coming up, we're going to have more speak-singing songs. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. This week, we are sharing some of our favorite songs with sing-speak vocals. Let's kick things over now to Sound Opinions associate producer Sol Delgadillo to hear their pick. All right, my pick is The Gray by a band called Movements. It's off of their album Feel Something, and that came out in 2017. Um, They're the first artist that I thought of when I first heard that we were going to do a speak-sing show just because of how often they used to use uh, spoken word in a lot of their tracks. Mm. And the very ending to The Grey is all spoken word. And I thought that it was pretty emotional, so I, I figured we, we, we could bring a little bit of emo back into the the list shows. Yeah, you inject a little emo from from uh, now and then. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know this band. Uh, wh- where were they from? When were they? Uh, are they still a going concern? Yeah, so they're 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 still on the radar. They came out with an album back in 2020. They actually formed in 2015. 
um, and they're from California. And a lot of um, other bands uh, that they toured with were a part of the Warp Tour circuit. So they were on Warp Tour, mm. I think, once or twice. Um, so they were affiliated with a lot of like pop punk bands and went on tour with a bunch of them and stuff like that. All right, let's hear it. And it's getting harder to pretend like I'm okay when there's a constant reminder being drilled into my brain. I still believe in happiness and I want to find a way. But lately my whole world is being swallowed by the gray. For now there's comfort in the quiet solitude and rainy days. I've got my sadness to a science. All I can do is hope for change. There's comfort in the quiet solitude and rainy days. I've got my sadness to a science. All I can do is hope for change. All right, thank you, Soul. For your pick, we're going to go now to our longtime veteran producer, Alex Claiborne. Alex, what do you got? So, this was kind of a hard list show for me because I don't particularly enjoy that kind of vocalization and songs. I like when what? people sing. Um, <laughs> the song that I chose, which is a great song that I really enjoy, um, is Whip It by Devo. I think the funny thing that works um, with this particular song is that although they are not singing, they're sort of like talking through and like, you know, using sound effects. Um, it's almost like the instrumentals take over on the singing front and that they punctuate, they carry you through the song. Like obviously people sometimes tend to focus on vocals as the primary aspect of a particular song. And this is mm -hmm. like all of it coming together so that it distracts me. So that I don't think so much about <laughs> Why, yeah. why right. someone's not singing on it, but it's just a fun song and it's just enjoyable. is Whip It from Devo. Thanks, Alex Claiborne, for that pick. I uh, heartily endorse that pick. Um, I'm going to go to somebody next, Greg, who uh, you and I, uh, he has been one of the cornerstone artists of our lives. Uh, and one could argue he has uh, not sung uh, for about nine-tenths of his career. <laughs> <laughs> or some would say he's sung badly. I'm talking about Lou Reed. There's a range of Lou Reed's uh, not singing, from almost singing sort of beautifully to, to just kind of monologue and, and lots in between. This is one of the in-between songs, although there's some spoken word. Coney Island Baby, solo album number six, right? It's either so over-the-top, maudlin, schlocky, <laughs> or uh, Lou being uh, brutally honest and nostalgic about, about New York, right? You know, it starts off with uh, a bit of spoken word. I I'd like to send this one out to Lou and Rachel and all the kids at PS 192. <laughs> PS 192 is a school in Brooklyn. He uh, attended it for some time mm -hmm. before his family moved to uh, Long Island. He grew up there. Rachel uh, was the uh, trans woman who he was with for several years there um, and seemingly deeply in love because there were a lot of tracks dedicated to... Uh, Rachel for over several years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what does that have to do with playing football for the coach? I'm going to play the title track, yeah. Coney Island Baby. I right. have no, no idea, right? Lou has never struck me as a football player. But, you know, he goes on in a, in a sing-speak way about, believe it or not, I wanted to play football for the coach. And all those older guys said he was mean and cruel. 
you are a basketball coach. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're a kinder coach probably <laughs> than any football coach. And part of me loves this song and part of me hates this song. I'm torn by it. I'm eager to hear it again now, but I probably won't play it again for another 15 years. Coney Island Baby, the title track by Lou Reed from 1975. You know, man, when I was a young man in high school, you believe it or not, I wanted to play football for the coach. And all those older guys, they said that he was mean and cruel, but you know, I want to play football for the coach. Said I was a little too lightweight to play linebacker, so I'm playing right in. Want to play football for the coach? Uh, Lou wanted to play football for the coach, Greg. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what I'm saying. That's I almost think, a horrible song. I I, don't, I disagree a hundred percent. I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's his best solo album. Really? Uh, certainly better the than the Blue Mask. Certainly in the top three. The Blue Mask is right up there. New York is right up there. And this one, New those York's are the three that I really, New really New York's love. a horrible, horrible record. No. We're gonna have that fight sometime. But uh, Let, let's talk a, about the, the Great American Whale. The, <laughs> I like that song too. Oh my God! You Coney Island Baby is Lou being a little nostalgic, getting a little misty-eyed. You know, Lou rarely allowed himself. Uh, to, to go there. Um, sentimentality was not something that he enjoyed doing or, or indulged in much. But on this song, you know, there's a sweetness to it that I, you rarely heard in Lou Reed songs. Well, from, uh, from that same era, uh, I wanted to play a little bit of Grace Jones for us because uh, Grace was uh, making disco records right around the time Lou was, was making this record. Yeah. When uh, Grace, a model, actress, uh, singer, striking personality, a... Uh, a regular at Studio 54 during that era. She sort of embodied, you know, a certain glamour, a certain avant-garde glamour during mm. that era. So she transformed herself from uh, the disco queen into a kind of a new wave artist with the 1980 album Warm Leatherette, which, which she recorded with Sly and Robbie in the Bahamas, the, the great reggae rhythm section. Yeah. Um, and, and, this, and this kind of changed her sound. The title track is uh, The Normal's Warm Leatherette, which is a classic track from the late 70s. And she was doing a lot of really twisted covers on this record. Warm Leatherette among them. Uh, Roxy Music's Love is the Drug. Mm -hmm. But the one that really got to me was her cover of The Pretender's Private Life, uh, which had just come out. It was a relatively new, brand new song right around that time. Chrissy Hine talking about uh, you know, uh, kind of the paranoia of somebody who is uh, isolated, somebody who is essentially a recluse. And, you know, Grace Jones puts a whole new spin on it, the way she delivers the song, essentially in a monologue. You know, it is not a sung song. It's almost like she's in the interior world mm. of this recluse in the way that she's performing the song. Private Life from Grace Jones on Sound Opinions. Grace Jones, 
Grace Jones covering the pretender's private life. There is no ambiguity about my next uh, speaker because I don't believe he could sing uh, three notes. Uh, Phil Daniels, right? One and only remarkable recording. Who was Phil Daniels? Well, he was in the Who's Quadrophenia. Mm. Any aspiring mod knows who Phil Daniels is, and he pops up in 1994 on the title track of Blur's Park Life album. You know, Mm. those Blur albums remain classics, not only of the Britpop movement, but I think some of the greatest rock uh, sociological observations ever after the Kinks. Right? Yeah. Damon Albarn looking at his native uh, England and uh, remarking on the good, the bad, and the ugly of life in the UK. It made complete sense after the second album, Modern Life is Rubbish, to dig deeper into the UK of the mid 90s. And, you know, Phil Daniels popping in to give this guy very, very British, uh, uh, you know, monologuing in between uh, the musical exclamations by Albarn and the rest of Blur, Park Life. You know, I, I, I don't understand English culture. I've never been to England. <laughs> I kept trying for years to get a magazine to send me to do a story, actually to, to, on Damon, um, and, I, and nobody ever wanted to pony up. And, um, you know, what Phil is talking about in much of this, he talks about morning soup, and he talks about brewer's droop, um, monologuing about pork life. Uh, I guess these are like English slang uh, terms. I don't know, the, the one line I understand is he gets up, I feed the pigeons, I sometimes feed the sparrows too. <laughs> it gives me an enormous sense of well-being. And Blur responds, park life! Right? I, I just love this track. I can listen to it a million times and it never gets old. Confidence is a preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as A morning suit can be avoided if you take a route straight through what is known as John's got brewer's fruit, he gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons They love a bit of it Who's that gut lord marching? You should cut down on your pork life mate, get some exercise Title track of Blur's 94 album, Park Life. Boy, they were great. Yep, that was one of their highlights for sure. Um, I want to go to uh, another great sing-speak vocalist. I think uh, in many ways the quintessential one uh, from the punk era, Mark E. Smith of The Fall. Uh, a lot of people, it's it's a love or hate proposition for many people. You know, it's like there's no, no in between in the fall. Usually, people come uh, on the side of what the hell is he doing? You well, know, it's, it's like it, he's it, it, t- up there talking. Yeah, and know? it's such a daunting uh, legacy. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't know they're so prolific. You don't know where to enter. Well, that's true. The revolving door lineups. Uh, I mean, basically, Mark E. Smith uh, was the sole constant in that band from 1977 until 2018, when he died at the age of. 60 and the band evolved many 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 times except with the exception of mark as the as the lead singer if you could call him a singer he really didn't try to sing he was more like a commentator is mm. a stream of consciousness a kind of a burroughs-esque cut up with the words um voice between like a nasty sneer and an alcoholic slur you know <laughs> i mean is he drunk is he you know what's going on here but there was a caustic nature to it he was he could be funny he could be sarcastic. Um, he, a lot of times he was very pointed in his commentary. Uh, he used repetition uh, in a way that was very avant-garde. 
Um, and his feel for r- rhythm, he got a lot of mileage out of a very limited voice mm-hmm. in terms of the way he could phrase things or change a word, a phrase, change its meaning, depending on how he emphasized certain syllables or certain words. So his whole th- thing was, I want primitive music meeting intelligent lyrics. Mm. And I think he pulled that off. I, 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 you know, he was, there are certain songs and, and, and certain albums that are just so daunting I wouldn't recommend a newcomer <laughs> to listen to him. But I, I think in the late 70s, early 80s, the, the fall were making some really fine records. And one of the great tracks from that era is this one, Totally Wired by The Fall from 1980 on Sound Opinion. Can't you see? Totally wired by the fall. Yeah, Greg, I would say Marky Smith is right up there with Lou Reed as far as uh, doing the most with a limited voice (laughs) for the longest time. When we return, we'll wrap up our playlist of speak singing tracks and we'll bid farewell to Mark Lanigan, a man who really could sing. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. This week, we're sharing some of our favorite songs with spoken vocals. Now let's go to our production team. Mary Bernthal, let's, uh, let's hear what you have to say about uh, spoken word tracks. Mary? Yeah, so my pick this week is um, it's Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Kind of an underground song. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. It's a classic. Yeah. You know, I think we talk about Prince's voice all the time. You know, as we should. It's amazing. But his speaking voice is, you know, just as, like, engaging and beautiful and powerful as his singing. And, um, you know, he speaks, I'm listening. So the intro of Let's Go Crazy is just, like, it's so good. Um, Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Like, I'm, it's such a good opener to the album. It's Preacher, Preacher Prince. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, my dad, my dad's a Lutheran pastor, and (laughs) I tell him, I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to get married. But if I do, this is the you song. You have to do that? You have to do that. You, and oh, he's, wow. All right. He's fine I with it. I love it. He thinks it's funny. Mary, our, our Columbia College intern, uh, we've never been in the same room. We're no. still uh, socially distancing, recording on Zoom. But you're wearing a Bob Dylan t-shirt today. I can see on Zoom. I am. I am. He has a cowboy How hat. How could we have not mentioned Dylan as well, one of the great Subterranean yeah. homesick blues, yeah, right? Right, the, right, the, right? The start of kind of uh, sing-speak singing for the, uh, the new era yeah. and the new generation. Yeah. All right, good pick, though. Let's hear some Prince. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. Thank you, Mary. That was an excellent idea. I love it. Uh, now let's go uh, to our producer, Andrew Gill. Mr. Gill, you're going to get postmodern on us, huh? Yeah, what's up, guys? You know, I only feel good about this pick because Greg just talked about the fall, because, mm-hmm. you know, this pick wouldn't have been possible without the fall, uh, especially the album it's on is often, you know, 
referred to as a fall cover album. Basically, <laughs> um, <laughs> you're going. I'm to talking to, talking you're about pavement, pavement. Sl- slanted and enchanted from 1992. Um, the song is Fame Thrower, which mm-hmm. I have to say, ever since I first heard this song when I was like 13 or 14, I thought it was Flame Thrower <laughs> until. Like yesterday, I think, but <laughs> fame thrower, fame thrower. Yes, um, you know this is a song that uh, my older brother uh, is three years older than me. For his senior high school yearbook quote, he chose the last uh, verse of this song, um, <laughs> which is completely, you know, like it's completely absurd. Like Greg was mm-hmm. talking about um, Marky Smith using his limited vocal range, but having very intelligent lyrics, you know, mm-hmm. these lyrics, I don't think mean anything. Um, the, these were, I feel like the, this song, liking this song is what makes me a Gen Xer and not a millennial because mm-hmm. it's full of, uh, an appreciation for absurdity. Um, and you know, this kind of meaninglessness of these words, but that's one way to put what Malcolmus did. Uh, another <laughs> is like, he could, he was so lazy, such a slacker. He couldn't be bothered to write lyrics. So he just had words. <laughs> but but the words it's like the medium is the message though you know it's like the way the words sound and the way he delivers them mm-hmm. is the meaning of the song you <laughs> okay. know um, i'm with you andrew don't let jim throw you off your game i, was <laughs> there, I think yeah, malcolmus is great as a great lyricist actually um and i think the whole casualness of the approach kind of throws you off the fact that he's he's dealing in some fairly uh, you know high-minded ideas they're a little abstract for sure but I, I think it, lyrically, it's pretty pretty sophisticated. Around the time I heard this song, I had also been digging through my dad's old Bob Dylan records, like we just mentioned with Mary. Yeah. And you know the essays that Dylan would write on his record sleeves, they mm. made about as much sense as these lyrics. You know, yeah, try <laughs> so, his tarantula book. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this stuff was it was you know like games with language. You know, it was just sort yeah. of like amusing yourself with like how you could put words together. Um. Well, you've sold pavement as well as it can be sold there, uh, <laughs> Mr. Gill. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's dive in. How can you know In the distance lies a grower Named Rudolph, king fame thrower Son of groupie, bed-worn sex And spent his cash convincing us the desert was a starscape Took our lives for satellites We could cry Naked, naked, foul A, a good selection from Andrew Oh yeah, Pavement with Fame Throwa By our producer Andrew Gill Good choice, Andrew Jim, you're up I am up. Uh, I'm going to go to one of my uh, all-time favorite singers of the last half century. He only does some wordless singing in this song. The rest of it's spoken word. Belong is a track on one of R.E.M.'s best albums, uh, one of the last two great R.E.M. albums. Out of Time came in 91, Automatic for the People the next year. And uh, then I think, you know, I will argue they lost the plot. We forget that it's on this album because there's so many great songs on this record that uh, this odd left turn into sing speaking a monologue uh, from Michael Stipe in that wonderful deep baritone. Is it a tribute to how maternal love will endure amid everything, or is it 
an especially frightening portrait of apocalypse hmm. uh, with a mother uh, holding their child tight as the end nears. I don't know. But that beginning of her world collapsed early Sunday morning. Wow. Hmm. That is Michael Stipe at his very best. This was at a point where I think R.E.M. was really still a good halfway into their career, uh, stretching the boundaries of what they could do and experimenting all the time successfully. (laughs) They experimented later, not so successfully. Be long, R.E.M. from 91. Her world collapsed early Sunday morning. She got up from the kitchen table, folded the newspaper, and silenced the radio. Those creatures jumped the barricades and headed for the sea. Pretty stark stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Jim, I don't know. I think you and I had a similar reaction when we saw this band for the first time at uh, South by Southwest, uh, this uh, UK band, Art Brute. Yes. Uh, Eddie Argos just totally enchanted us. Fell uh, in love with him instantly. Talk about a non-singer being a great front man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the lineage of Jonathan Richmond, his personal hero, yeah. who in turn was influenced by Lou Reed, who we mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, and it needs to be said that Lou and Dylan, both uh, side by side in the 60s, kind of invented yeah. this style of uh, singing for the modern rock era. Um, Eddie is in that lineage, uh, Eddie Argos. Um, the first song on the first album, Formed a Band, We Formed a Band, Look at Us, We Formed a Band. <laughs> the exuberance, a joyous declaration, we exist, even though we can't sing. Yep. You know, and, you know, he. it's almost like he's, um, it's a meta Sing Speak song, because he addresses, he already knows what the naysayers are singing. You're talking, you know, and Eddie turns around and goes, we're talking to the kids, not to you, man. (laughs) We're talking to the kids, you know, we're just talking to the kids. I love that line. I think it's just like one of the great asides, you know, I'm talking about talking, you know, you don't get it, the kids do. But it's not for you. Exactly. A great example of the personality overcoming any technical limitations in rock and roll, which I think in, in many ways that's what rock and roll is all about. Uh, Art Brute with formed a band with the great Eddie Argos on lead vocals on Sound Opinions. Greg, you were quicker on the draw in putting your sing-speak list together because I would have gone for Art Brute as well. Uh, An early highlight of Sound Opinions on Public Radio. Our 24th episode in 2006, we had Art Brute perform live. Um, I'm going to wrap up my picks with uh, the most obvious, the one that popped into my head as soon as we had this idea. Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime. Uh, Remain in Light, 1980. Uh, I mean, you know, David Byrne uh, intoning, you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile, you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, and you're going to ask yourself, 
how did I get here, right? Between the recent uh, biography, autobiography by drummer Chris Franz and uh, some some biographies of Brian Eno, I went back to them and uh, was looking up the story of this song. It was not one of Brian Eno's favorites. Eno produced Remain in Light, and he was uh, a force in pushing the band to experiment, to incorporate the Afrobeat that really drives a lot of that album. And uh, he thought this wasn't working until Byrne said, let's just stick with it. And Eno improvised wordlessly the chorus, and then that gave Byrne the monologue. Mm-hmm. Right? So the contrast between the sung chorus and the spoken uh, verses, he said he was trying to do, Byrne said, uh, call and response like a preacher and the congregation. So, Once in a Lifetime, a classic track by Talking Heads. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack And you may find yourself in another part of the world And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife And you may ask yourself That's a classic, Greg, and you're going to play a more recent track. I am. I, I'm. You know, I, I think about what Billie Eilish has done and how she's become this chart-topping artist, and you go, totally out of left field. I mean, I, yeah. the, the fact that she doesn't really sing, I mean, she's got a nice voice. I've heard her sing. She can do like a bossa nova on the last record that she put out, and she has a feel for, you know, a nice soprano range, but a lot of her vocals are, are talking. Uh, never more so than on that huge hit that she had in 2019, Bad Guy. She's mentioned hip-hop as a big influence, and we don't talk about hip-hop in the show because, to me, that's a whole category in itself. It's a, su- yeah. it's a subset of what we're talking about here. There's a whole range of pop music styles that incorporate spoken word, You know, whether it's talking blues or whether it's a doo-wop vocalist or whether it's a hip-hop artist. The sing-speak style is more kind of in the in the rock and, and soul realm. And, and she's incorporating all those different influences. She's got a slippery voice. She uses her voice, again, like an instrument. And if you listen to the way, again, that she's phrasing, you think it's a very small voice, it's a very circumscribed voice, but she creates a whole world in the way she uses it. So, you know, when you think about the fact that she was just a teenager when she was making mm-hmm. these, these records, I'm, I'm continually astonished at, at, at just the the technical virtuosity that she shows here. And people are going, like, what, technical? What the hell are you talking about? I, I'm telling you, she's very nuanced in the way she's making up these words. And it's rare, even rarer still, to hear a voice like this at the top of the charts. So hats off to Billie Eilish and what she's done. Bad Guy from Billie Eilish on Sound Opinion. Thank you, oh, please, I do what I want when I'm wanting to my soul. So you're a tough guy, like you really rough guy Just can't get enough guy, just always so puff guy I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type Make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type I'm the bad guy Duh Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, a very good place to wrap up, Greg, especially given that we started with Peggy Lee, because I hear a little bit of yeah. that Peggy <laughs> Lee monologue in, in Billie Eilish. 
That wraps up our discussion on Speak Singing, and of course, we want to hear from you. What's your favorite song where the singer or singers don't actually sing? Leave us a voice message, you don't have to sing it, on our website, soundopinions.org. Now, it's time to catch up with some very sad news. That's Nearly Lost You from Screaming Trees. That's a track uh, that uh, became world famous in 1992. It landed on a little film called Singles Singles, from Cameron Crowe. That didn't hurt. Uh, It also helped bolster Screaming Trees into a a much bigger act than it was at that point. But what a great band, fronted by the vocalist on that track, Mark Lanigan. Jim, I don't know. I think I speak for you and many other people. uh, His death, Mark Lanigan's death at age 57 just was a crusher, such yeah. a surprise, and, and such a, a profoundly artistic man and a gentleman, a true gentleman, who had a very difficult life from childhood on and, and left behind a treasure trove of great music, not only with Screaming Trees, but a, a bunch of the other uh, projects we're going to talk about here in a minute. But man, what a shock. Yeah. There's been so many deaths, but this one seemed to be to hit especially hard. Well, he had survived COVID. He was public in talking about that, but he also was very public in talking about substance abuse problems for years. Uh, he had a tough life. Two memoirs about it among his five books, also books collecting poetry and lyrics and, and thoughts about writing. Talk about prolific. Greg. Mm. Since The Screaming Trees debuted in 1986, there were eight albums with The Screaming Trees. There were 12 solo albums. There were two albums with Duke Garwood, one with Skeleton Joe. Uh, He was a huge part of the first two Queens of the Stone Age albums and then contributed to others that followed. And three albums made with Isabel Campbell. Isabel uh, had been in Bell and Sebastian. We had them on the show, number 271 in 2011. Mark came in. We chatted with uh, both him and Isabel. You know, she just wrote this beautiful piece for The Guardian the other day paying tribute to this man that she collaborated with. Uh, She Mm -hmm. said, you know, people said we were Beauty and the Beast, uh, yet I witnessed uh, Mark's beauty and I could frequently inhabit Beast myself, light and dark, angel and devil. I have to say, you know, I think Lanigan was up there with Cobain in terms of the great vocalists of the 90s. And Cobain was a huge fan of Lanigan. Yeah, everybody raves about Cobain's version of In the Pines, uh, Where Did You Sleep Last Night, uh, however you want to refer to it the Lead Belly song, on the Unplugged uh, episode in 94. But he learned that song. He played on that song when Lanigan first covered it on his 1990 solo record, which he made in the midst of being in Screaming Trees. That's how Kurt found out about it. Lanigan was a music scholar. He, He knew past, present, and future in a lot of ways. He was experimenting with all different styles. You know, I think about what he did with somebody like P.J. Harvey, who was another huge fan their song Hit the City, uh, 2004. Another project that he worked on, Greg Dooley of Afghan Wigs was yeah. a huge fan and formed a band with Lanigan called uh, Gutter Twins. Um, they have a song called Idle Hands, which I think is just one of the best things Lanigan's ever done. Make your man. 
you know, you know he, he had uh, feuds with the Connor brothers of Screaming right. Trees, infamously. But, you know, I think it's a testament to an artist's personality. We, we keep rattling off collaborations with people, yeah. right? This guy worked with so many people, mm-hmm. and they were happy to work with right. him. You know, that, that's, that shows a generosity of spirit. Right, generosity of spirit. Screaming Trees, he was great. I loved, I loved the SST records they put out in yep. the 80s before anybody knew who they were. A Subtle Poison that he did with them before the well-known band with the grunge scene coming up in the early 90s. They weren't really a grunge band. They were, no, they were psychedelic. Garage, uh, psychedelic, yeah, Yeah, exactly. But he became a better, more nuanced, more subtle, more varied vocalist post-Screaming Trees. I mean, he just kept getting better and better. And I think that's what's so tragic about this. He was only 57. It seemed like the possibilities were endless about where he could go. Oh, absolutely. I think he was very much in the Michael Stipe mode, too, a name we we used earlier, in that uh, not a flamboyant stage presence. No. Ironic. He says he discovered rock and roll as a really young teen by uh, looking at this weird picture on the cover of Cream magazine Iggy Pop, right? Yeah. And that made him that made him a fan of punk rock. But but he was the opposite of Iggy. You right. know, like Stipe in the early days of R.E.M., he was stand at the microphone, and, and it was as if the world didn't exist. It was just mm. him, the microphone, and that whiskey baritone. We did say we had uh, uh, Mark uh, Lanigan and Isabel Campbell record for us in the studio uh, at WBEZ. It was a, a real treat. Here is a song from that 2011 session. Ran Gambling man. and Isabel Campbell, Mark Lanigan, dead at the age of 57 on February 22nd. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to discuss the great uh, vocalist of X-Ray Specs, uh, Polly Styrene. Her daughter made a beautiful documentary about Polly, and we're going to talk with her about the making of this film. And don't forget to check out our bonus podcast where this week uh, Jim paid tribute to Margot Gurian. A bounty of riches, Mr. Cott. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. 